The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello everybody and welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, a Red Dwarf review podcast featuring myself, Adam Martin. And me, Phil Hawkins. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you are brand new, well, thank you very much for joining us. We highly advise that you go and check out our reviews from the start as that is kind of the point of what we're doing, isn't it? We're going from the very start of Red Dwarf all the way up until the present day. And if you are new, Phil is someone who's watched since the 1990s that that far off land that we all like to remember the and distant I am distant past the distant past and i am someone who's watching the show for the very first time and it's thrown up some interesting different perspectives over certain episodes and we've actually reached series three episode one which <laughs> okay it's actual title if you go on netflix is Stradwacab. Um, that was if... a, that was an admirable thank attempt you at... that was a good try i think that was good um, yeah. If you're not familiar and you're like, what on earth does that mean? It's it's the word backwards spelt backwards <laughs> because that is the title of this episode, backwards. And the plot synopsis of this episode is, as Rimmer is taking Crichton for a driving lesson in Starbug, they find themselves being whisked away through a time hole and end up on Earth where time is running backwards. Ooh, time. Love a bit of time. Timey-wimey stuff. So... Yeah, this is the start of series three, and I mean to kick things off, it's a very different introduction. To oh yeah, there's just there's there's just so much that is um, just different about this show in this series that yeah, right from the start, even the yeah. titles, which I think is what you were alluding to there. Yeah, is... I mean the whole Star Wars parody going too fast where you can't read it and all. Yes, yeah, because so, yeah, we get this title scroll, and yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, like, mm. in the nineties, this must have been like nobody must have read this because it, yeah. if you're watching it on TV, there's no way you might glance the occasional word, but there is a lot of text, and yeah. so I'm guessing it must be intentional that you don't really read it, but. Yeah. With the modern technology that we have nowadays, we can freeze frame and, you know, unlike on VHS, when you freeze, a, when you pause a VHS, oh, yeah. you can't, yeah. still can't read what's going on because it flickers and you get these lines <laughs> everywhere and stuff. But nowadays yeah. we have Netflix and Netflix pauses perfectly. Freeze frame perfect. I think I caught, I paused it once or twice just to check, but I do, from what I saw, I think it is actually just a recap of the first two series. I don't think, apart from like the very last bit where it's, what is it? It's like the continuum continues or something. Like I think. Oh, so for you the didn't most read part, it all? I didn't read it all, no. You didn't read I, again, it all. I, again, because okay. like you said, for the speed thing, I kind of thought, oh, maybe this is the intention. Like maybe I'm not supposed to. I, it was more out of curiosity. So I assumed it was a full recap and just just cracked on it's more of a filling in what's happened in between mm. so it's in a way oh, it's like right. those star okay. wars scrolls so we we basically get the filling in of why every why several things are different so okay it, we get uh what was it um so obviously last season ended off on a cliffhanger it did didn't it? it ended off with finding out that dave lister was pregnant yes and with twins no less yeah. and at and here we get told what happened. Now, how how do you feel about this? Because once again, Red Dwarf has done this to us, where they've set up a cliffhanger 
and they have not dealt with it in the body of the story, but have just given it a quick throwaway at the beginning, this time in a text scroll. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it, it's funny, but if if, if it's true what you say, like, because again, I didn't read the full thing, so I just assumed it was, okay, I assume. I will fill you in okay, go for on it, what yeah. happened. So I don't have it in front of me, but the general gist of what happened with the babies is that he gave birth via cesarean, and mm. they sort of instantly aged within the space of about three weeks up right. to 18 year olds. Okay. <laughs> so within three weeks, they, they were like 18 year olds. Uh-huh. And in order to keep them alive, they had to return them to the dimension they came from. So return them to their, yeah. Yeah. what the text refers to as their fathers who are female. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's okay. where the, that's where the twins have gone. So we did give birth. Now I'm interested. I was reading, uh, in a in i think it might have been on wikipedia that mm. that was me- everything in this text scroll was meant to be an episode okay and when um the writers went to write it they they got about halfway through the script and decided it just wasn't very funny and interestingly okay. in one interview uh let me see if i can find out which writer it was which of the two it was that said it um that's it. In an interview with Grant Naylor in the Red Dwarfs magazine, issue six from <laughs> August 1992, he said that uh, as well as it not being very funny, it was a bit potentially offensive to women. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, no, that's fair enough. I just think like it that's is why it got canned. It, it is it is sad in a way we don't get it resolved in some way shape or form well i guess i guess we do with the text scroll but yeah like you said because it goes so fast and which is a bit as you say bizarre that even at the time they said in 1989 like you're saying like unless you had some way of like freeze frame technology back then which i think domestically would have only been on laser discs but yeah. i don't think you could record to laser discs so it seems odd that even at the time you know that there'd be no real way to read all of it unless you tried to look through the flicker of a VHS tape. Um, so yeah, I, so if they scrapped it, I guess they had to move it along, but I don't know, maybe a fast text scroll wasn't the the best way to do it? I don't know. Yeah, it can't, I guess it kind of fits in with the jokey sort of nature of the series, but if you want to know what's going on... Yeah. Uh, so, so there was the twins, um, what happened to them? And then there was also why Crichton is back. So we right, were wondering, we, we thought... <laughs> that Crichton must have been driving around the ship the whole time on his on his sort of motorbike thing that he got mm. on off a day. But apparently, according to the tech score, that is a space motorbike and can go oh. off into space. And he's oh, been okay. riding around on that, but crashed. And right, that makes the crew sense. find him sort of disassembled because he crashed. And they put him back together, but they weren't able to restore his original personality, which is why he acts slightly different. Uh, oh, oh! This is make ah. Uh, see, this is solving questions I was going to bring up later, and um, I take it is there something about Holly? There is something about Holly. Holly decides the, to have a uh, the quote is a head sex change, um, <laughs> to match the appearance of Hilly, who he encountered and fell in love with in the. This makes universe. sense. This makes sense. Yep, because that was Which a question I had later as well. We, yep no longer have norman love it and it's a shame yes which is a sad loss but yeah. we do have hattie hey hattie um oh, i've forgotten her last name is it hattie hayridge or something like that oh i've forgotten yeah. it already i think it was i'm glad you explained it because i noticed in the credits because obviously having not read it when i saw 
what to me was Hilly appear. I was like, oh, Hilly's back. That's cool. But then I noticed in the credits, she's credited as Holly. And I was mm. like, hang on a minute. But again, now that you've explained it, it makes it. But this is what I mean. Like, if I, I mean, I could have stopped to read it now. But I'm just thinking of like at the time, who were they expecting to, who, who was expected to read this? Yeah, I know. Do you know what I mean? It just seems like a really baffling decision. Like, it, yeah. you could have even had Holly Hilly, um, whoever appear you know like in the season two uh like transmission messages they did like recapping you could have even just done a quick one of them where they say that like to you you know and maybe that would have worked better than a fast text scroll i don't know but thank you for clearing that up now a lot of things make a lot more a lot more sense now but um but that, that does not go to show if you don't read it then you'll probably end up with the same questions i had in my head before it got answered yeah now interestingly this also though the thing about the twins contradicts future echoes the second episode where his son bexley lived with him on red dwarf into the future and that's who rimmer sees die Hmm. but here he's being sent back to live with his mother in the other universe yeah i mean Who who knows at this point? I'm wondering if they'll if it'll get mentioned again. Obviously, you might know, so no spoilers. But I am curious now that because th- now that you've said it, it all gets explained away in a text scroll. That feels very much like they wanted to go right. We're done with this now. Do you know what I mean? Like right, we've we've had that now. End of. See you later. Otherwise, it would have had more, maybe more time dedicated to it. That that's my take on it anyway. Yeah. Um, and I noticed with the with the theme, uh, we get but the end credits theme basically at the start without the lyrics. And I've got and maybe it's just because I'm going through it the first time. I do miss the sort of you know slower opening theme. It, it, that felt quite epic and seeing the ship and all that. I do like the lyricless theme. And I did write in my notes at first because you get clips of of the gang up to stuff, and I was like, "Oh, is it? Are we doing one of those things where it's like, here's what's to come in today's episode?" Or, and having seen it, I'm like, "Okay, I'm guessing this is what's coming up in the whole series." Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff obviously that didn't appear, and I think that's you know, it was a cool little montage sequence. And but right even from that, and then right into the first scene, as you said, like so much has changed. Like they've clearly had a budget increase. Yeah, like a, ma- a massive budget increase. Like Rimmer's they've had got complete a redesigns of set. <laughs> there's new costumes. There's new sets. They've got an extra cast member, so they can obviously afford a new, an extra regular cast member as well. Yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely more budget going on here. Talking of the sets, what do you think of their new bunk room? Because they've got a. They've... I, I was gonna say, like the little mood lighting going on. Also watching something, I was like, yeah, I dig it. It's a lot. It's more... very sort of space nineteen ninety nine slash aliens. You know yeah. that kind of spaceship but, vibe. But to I it, liked it? it was more like dimmer in a way. Because I think we've said this before. More, more so, I think in series one of Red Dwarf, where everything was very well lit, uh, which we've said before is like was a thing back in the late eighties in TV anyway. That everything was like overlit, and it got better in series two. But just from that, as you said, from that opening scene, I think it's lit brilliant, perfectly. It's like, like you say, that sort of right space age vibe where you can still see the detail, but it's not too bright. It doesn't look like a set. No, I really like the new bunk room and I, I'm sure we'll see more of it as the, because we only get that one scene, don't we, at the start in this one yeah. of the bunk. And yeah. I'm not sure if they explain it here, but I know I've read that they explanation is, is that they've basically moved into the officer's bunks. That's why it's mm. look looks slightly nicer than their old grey drab bunks. Yeah, which makes sense. Although I have to say in that scene... They must have finally been decontaminated. <laughs> after all that time. 
I must say, though, in that opening scene, I kind of felt the Flintstones gag was a little bit drawn out. Oh, did you? I was going to ask you about that because I thought, in contrast to the drawn out gags that we had Mm. in the last couple of seasons, because there was that's been a criticism a couple of times where they the they drag it out and the punchline doesn't quite land like it's not a very funny punchline usually yeah but i actually really like the punchline to this one i thought it was really good this is crazy why are we talking about going to bed with wilma flintstone <laughs> you're right we're nuts this is an insane conversation she'll never leave fred and we know it <laughs> and yeah. i i think the timing of it was just right i think for me yeah i i think that i like the punchline i just think the build to it took too long for me like okay i i don't know like they'll think oh like fred would never leave her that that's funny but i don't know just the whole i don't know just me it just felt too long there was a moment where i was like okay let's let's have the punchline now do you know i was looking into the um american one the americans did a uh pilot of doing an american version of red dwarf in the 90s and they recreated this scene, the Wilma, oh, uh, right. the Wilma joke, the Wilma Flintstone joke. And if you think this one was drawn out, <laughs> that oh, one boy. is very drawn out. Oh, it just doesn't no. work. Like, I, I really <laughs> like it in this episode. It does not work in the American version at all. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> if we ever get to that, that'll be a... If we can ever track that, down the whole episode, episode, we will do a special on it. We will. Uh, if anybody knows where we can get the whole episode, do let us know, because we'd be very Absolutely. interested in watching it. I can only find clips at the moment, various little bits of clips. I think you or someone in the comments might have mentioned either on like one of the DVD or Blu-ray sets. It's it was when we first started, I mentioned that I, I vaguely remembered it being on there, but actually having looked that up... It was a documentary about it with right, clips in it. Okay. So it's yeah. not the actual whole episode, unfortunately. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so when we when we see moving from the bunk, we're in a Starbug, Starbug 1. And uh, as you said, we see Crichton and Rimmer. Rimmer in his snazzy new new outfit. And again, I kind of miss his second technician one because it looked a bit pathetic, but that just suited Rimmer so well. But, he, you know, the, the emerald green is a very, very snazzy colour. You can and tell he uh, designed it himself as well with, oh, the, with yeah. the funky little hat as well, with the little oh, aerial the sticking up. <laughs> yeah, the little antenna coming up with that. It yeah. is absolutely something that Rimmer would design. Absolutely. And I noted seeing Crichton, I was like, yes, l- nice to see him back with uh, Robert Llewellyn now as Crichton. And yes. he, he looks like the makeup is so much better than it was in series two. So yeah. much better. And it I know is. that's something you mentioned when we covered that episode. You were like, it does get better. And like, it's just leaps and bounds. Like I got two pictures earlier and I was like, wow, yeah, that is. That is How did you find... How did you find the character himself? Because obviously your only introduction, your main, up to this point, your main image in your head is the original Crichton played by a different actor. So what a well, what this I version saw, of Crichton feel to you? I liked it. I mean, I was shocked a bit to hear the American accent because obviously in series two, he, I think we sort of said he he felt very much like a, a C-3PO kind of butler. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes sense now that you've talked about the opening crawl again but uh, I didn't know that so I was like oh this is an accent shift um, and it's Canadian I, saw... I think the accent oh, they were going sorry for. Robert Canadian and uh, <laughs> I wrote in my notes it's it it rem- he's gone from like being a C-3PO to like sort of a really toned down Max Headroom 
which is a character I mentioned before. Again, I think the accent sounds very similar to that style. And also it was the bit where he's like, you know, repeating himself where they play where he's like stuttering the word. Yes, I, I had that Max down Headroom. as a note. I put Crichton anxiety mode reminded me of Max Headroom. I wrote yeah. that down. <laughs> Max was on, Max in the 80s, man. He was he was getting around everywhere. But no, I, th- I still thought it worked. Like, obviously, yeah, it was different from my introduction. And like for the first 30 seconds, I was like, oh, you know, an American accent. I don't know. How, like, oh, sorry, a Canadian accent. I don't know how uh, how it fit with the character. But as the episode went on, I did. I warmed to it and I thought it really worked. And Robert Llewellyn was great, as as you've said from the start, but he was. He just, yeah, he stepped into it seamlessly. And I hope, is this the point where he becomes like a, a main regular character? Yeah, now? he's in it now forevermore. Yes, that's so what I want to not hear. leave. He is in it for the long haul. And it's a great scene. I think he nails the awkwardness of Crichton really well, like when he's going through the like the handbook of the signs and the... I failed, haven't I? <laughs> Just proceed. You're going to hold it against me, aren't you? That one mistake. I did think the ejector scene thing, for some reason, that looked a bit naff, and I'm not sure why. Like, yeah. I know when, little... when you see him, like, pop out, it's, like, a little clear, like, a, a dummy model. or a model. Yeah. yeah. And it just... Because yeah, the, mod- was... the model work, generally, and in this episode, is very good. Oh, yeah, everything ships. with Starbug is, like, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. All of the ship stuff is always very good. It's so detailed, it's brilliant. But using model people doesn't quite work. It never works, really. No. Using little model people, it, you, it takes me out of it. I remember watching... Was a big fan of Power Rangers back in my childhood, <laughs> yeah. and they used to have so they'd have the Zords. I mean, yeah. Power Rangers is pretty hokey in terms of the effects, anyway. <laughs> That's one. But word let's for ignore it, yeah. that. But as bad as the the Zords were, which let's face it, were men dressed in suits. Um, <laughs> when they did like a little model Power Ranger stuck sat like standing on top of it, that yeah. was obviously just a bit of plastic. That always took me out of it even more, even as a kid. So, yeah, that kind of reminded me a bit of that. Yeah, but like you said, the model work on the whole, like especially with like the Starbug stuff, for 1989, is pre- pretty damn good. Like, And it, it's so nice to see. It just, I think, proves that model work is so good when used like that yeah. in sci-fi. Like, I- I'm sure as we go on, um, you know, in like the late 90s and probably the 2000 stuff, things will probably be, I'm guessing, more like CG-based. Which, you know, is fine, sign of the times and all that, but it's just nice to see good model work in a sci-fi yeah. show. I really like the uh, that whole, other than that model bit, like you were saying, uh, the, the whole of the test flight, you know, like taking your driver's test. It's yeah. got that kind of feel of like, okay, real world, but let's transplant it into space yeah. um, and make it a little bit absurd. It was good. I liked it. Are you, do you, are you a driver? Do you drive? Have you taken uh, a test? Um, unfortunately, my eyes are not strong enough to partake in a driving test. Although I did used to be obsessed with road signs as a young child for some reason. So I had, this sounds so, I had a um, Know Your Traffic Signs book, which you oh. normally get when you're studying for your test. I had one of those at age four and I read that thing back to front. So the, I got like the the joke still resonated with me because I still found it funny and I've heard you know I've heard mate stories about it but yeah it was well done and I thought the way they adapted it for space was quite even and they the more use crass all ones, of, like all know. of the terminology and the phrasing and stuff like now please show me to your vehicle and you know yeah. that's something that they actually say and yeah <laughs> and you could just tell Rimmer if this was like a program fully based on Earth he'd definitely be something like a driving instructor 
Like, yeah, you could you could just see it, and it and again it works. It's it works, and um after all these shenanigans, and they take Starbug one out for a test drive, and they find a time hole, which is a <laughs> always a fun a fun. I don't know why I've heard that before in other sci-fi shows like Doctor Who, and I, the phrase "time hole" just makes me giggle. And I know that probably makes me very immature, but I don't know. <laughs> there's just something about it which makes me giggle a lot. Uh, and of course, where do they end up? The English countryside, because where else would you end up after falling through a time hole? Um, Three million so you, years away. That's it. And so we've got some location work again, which is nice. Yeah, apparently. Um, you can tell I've been, I've, I'm full of the facts this time because I've been <laughs> actually it. brushing up on the, um, <laughs> on the Wikipedia and IMDb pages, but that was filmed just outside of Manchester. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense, I guess, because I think in the credits, it's like, I can't remember the company that made it for the BBC, but it said uh, a something company made for BBC Northwest. So that makes sense. Uh, okay. That makes sense that they'd be around there. Yeah. Oh well, it looked it looked like a very nice part of Outer Manchester, and they they didn't get it on a rainy day. Um, what I we... want to know when they crashed because they crash in this park into the water, and then you see them driving a boat to the. Where did they yeah. get the boat from? Yeah, I thought this. It's like they've just they've just acquired. Like, did Starbug have a speedboat, or have they just acquired it? It was. It's clearly one of those moments, you know, that I guess sitcoms can get away with, where they can just do it, and you know, they're not going to ask questions. But unless yeah, you're recording a podcast, unless you're us. it, and then we will yeah. ask the question. Because I thought that. It's, I was like, like, where is this speedboat? Like, where have from? they where have they got this from? Dingy little uh, dingy motorboat thing. That's it. And we learn pretty quickly. They find a, a stone that says, um, oh, what's it? No, um, not, nod, 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 that's it. And uh, of course, it's backwards. And uh, this entire dimension they've fallen in is backwards. And as they sort of explain it, you know, there's like the little bit of dialogue when uh, uh, when they go like walking around. And I don't know why it made me laugh so much. It's that shot where it's like, you know, a crowd of people on a street and you've just got Crichton and Rimmer, and it, Rimmer's antenna has been raised to, like, an obscenely high height, and he's looking around really... I don't know why, that just really tickled me, because it looks so out of place. So um, I thought that was that was great. But I put that filming this whole backwards event must have been... A ch- you know, I bet the guys filming at the time read the script and were like, oh, my God, like, we've got to, you know film everything and then reverse it quite ambitious i think for the time you know to do it as full out yeah as they do. and i'm one yeah there must have been quite a lot of logistics to it there's one scene where they're walking down a crowded street and everyone else is walking backwards but they're walking forwards yeah. so i'm guessing they probably they were walking backwards everyone yes. else was walking forwards and they were walking backwards because that it's it's much easier to just coordinate two people walking backwards than it is a whole a like 50 extras could you imagine organizing those extras like right everyone start walking backwards and don't bump it that's like an actor's worse than that we used to do those games you know it's like move around the space but don't don't like hit each other that would actually be an actor's worst nightmare but no you're right logistically it works it works very well like yeah episode Uh, the only the only times i was a little bit unsure about how it was working was when they it looked a bit jarring when they started like because th- most of the time they were walking around going forward and doing mm. stuff in in you know the a forward way while everyone else was going backwards but there would be moments like when they were 
eating or drinking where obviously what they were doing had been filmed and reversed. Yes. And that there was a slight jarring moment because it was obvious that they they weren't acting the same way as they were two seconds ago, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I thought as I as I went along. Like there was one or two moments where I thought, like, wow, they're, they're really going for like the backwards gimmick for the whole episode. And like I say, I think for the most part, it does it does work, especially for the time. Like I'm sure there's many more sophisticated ways you could do it now. You know, make it look even smoother. But for 1989, um, yeah, I was I was I was quite impressed and. On on dates, it made me chuckle when they found the paper and they said it was 1993. I was like, ooh, the slightly near future for the viewers at home, you know. Yeah, because I think this was 1989. I think this yeah, episode would have so only a few years, yeah. Only a few years ahead. What was I going to say? Um, were you going to tell us where oh, you were in 1993? <laughs> where was I in 1993? Where were you? I was, I was in primary school. Ah, those were the days. I was probably... In 1993 was when I was about... St- to start watching this where roughly when I was starting watching Red Dwarf. Oh, mad. Mad. Did you start with this episode, do you remember? Or did you like come in halfway through the series? Or No, I if I was watching it in 1993, that wasn't when this aired. Because this aired oh, in 1989. Oh my God, getting, yeah, oh God. I'm getting confused. See, <laughs> getting confused see? with when it's set and when this it This is aired. what this program's done to me already. Goodness, yeah. No, what I was going to say is that the I was very tempted... To, but I ran out of time today and I didn't have time to do it. I was tempted to get a bit of the audio from the episode of somebody speaking in reverse and then reverse yeah. it and ah, see what it said. Yeah, that would have been neat. That, that would have been neat. And then I have on the IMDB trivia bit for this episode. Um, apparently, according, the first bit of trivia on this is when the pub manager gives Crichton and Rimmer a telling off in backwards speak, what he is really saying is, you are a stupid, square-headed, bald git, aren't you, eh? I'm pointing at you. Uh, I'm pointing okay. at you, but I'm not actually addressing you. I'm addressing the one prat in the entire country who's bothered to get hold of this recording, turn it around <laughs> and actually work out the rubbish that I'm saying. What a poor, sad life he's got. Yes. <laughs> that was almost I, I love stuff like that. Like someone's actually... <laughs> oh, God. They know what they're doing, these guys, don't they? Oh, they know yeah. exactly what they're doing. No, that's brilliant. To be honest, if I was watching this back in there, that kid would have been me. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely and to be fair, to be fair though, I mean, it would have taken a lot. I mean, reversing it now is a pretty simple, okay, I'll just record this off of Netflix, the audio, and reverse it in Adobe Edition. It'll take yeah. me two minutes. Whereas I, I imagine in, in 1989, that would have been a quite an effort for somebody to do. Yeah, I guess you would have had to add like, I want to say like an open tape thing where you could like control the reverse speed. Yeah, um, like a reel to reel machine or something. Yeah, because most rewinds back in the day, I believe you couldn't, you, when you rewound, you couldn't listen at the same time. It was literally like you had to wait and then listen. I think there were probably some machines that let you like watch as it rewound with the sound, but uh, certainly the VHS or cassette formats I've had, if you're rewinding, you can't listen. Do you know what I mean? You've got to wait until. Yeah. Till that's ready, but um, hey, clever, clever people, these guys. <laughs> and um, we cut to uh, Lister and Cat on the ship, and it's been three weeks um, since they've been looking for these guys. And I was going to say, for this first scene, Cat seemed quite subdued. Like the whole scene actually was very, it felt very subdued, not in a bad way. It just felt very like low energy for them as characters. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I guess it maybe echoed the opening scene, you know, where they're watching the TV, because again, it's not really high energy. They're just sort of having a chat. And I just sort of, I know, I kind of, I liked it in a way. Uh, not that I don't, you know, not that I don't like the two of them bouncing off the walls. Like, I love it. But I just like that they had this little moment in the episode where they're just, they're looking for their mates and they're just, you know, quite calm and having a chat about it. And yeah, I don't know. I, what, what did you think? I quite liked it. Yeah. I think from my memory, again, it's been a while since I've watched these episodes, but I do think Cat kind of does, you know, because in the first two series, he's very much like, hey, 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 yeah. all the time, all the yeah. time, nonstop. That's just what he is. But I do think he d- sort of tones it, tones it down a little notch from this yeah. point onwards, which is, I think, a good thing. Yeah, I think so. Cause, uh, like we've said, I think one of my criticisms of Cat in the past anyway uh, especially if you've listened to this podcast regularly, is that, well, not that he doesn't doesn't get much to do, but as you say, he is given, like, the same thing to do. Like you said, that high-octane, like, hey, energy all the time, which is fine, but I, I like the fact we're starting to see him more than just that in the series. Yeah, Otherwise, and they're starting to involve yeah. him more in jokes. You know, he's, it's a bit like at the top with the Wilma joke and things like that, and some other jokes that, that come up in this episode where the subject of the joke isn't the fact that he's a descendant of a cat, which yeah. almost for the yeah. entire first two seasons, almost every joke involving the cat was about the fact that he was a cat. Absolutely. Which gets, as we said, it can get old pretty quickly. And I like he feels, in this episode anyway, he felt more like, genuinely felt more like one of the gang rather than just someone they had around because he was there sort of thing like the little in jokes he has along the way with lister like i love the whole smart party thing oh that really made me smile but it's like the same with the in jokes he feels now like he's one of the i know it's probably an outdated term but you know like one of the boys if you like you know he's one of the he's one of the gang rather than just the sort of the butt of the joke or the the weird one they don't like to interact with unless it's absolutely necessary you know yeah i don't think well i don't think it's that outdated because i mean they are literally it's a more recent thing actually in the last sort of few seasons including the one the 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 special that was on last year they now sort of call themselves the boys from the dwarf oh they there you go you know with cat included so that just you know that proves that proves my point and um when they uh when they go through the the time hole a <laughs> little giggle uh they i must when they come down the stairs because they disguise starbug starbug's invisible in this place the shot of them coming down the invisible stairs, I thought was a pretty decent, again, decent blue screen for 1989 on BBC television, you know. Yeah, it was good. Wasn't too shabby. Yeah. It very much reminded me of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I've, I've watched, I've seen that clip. Uh, it reminded me as well of, don't they do something similar in Sharda in Doctor Who? There's, well, possibly, there is like I a, don't know. There is like a, I swear there's like a stair walk thing to nowhere i vaguely remember yeah what's the, vi- the villain in that seizing romana and like taking her into i don't um, know i could be I making it up I've, it reminded me of something definitely but yeah in star well trek done. 4 they they literally park a but klingon bird of prey which is also a green ship that ha- kind of has bug-like sections it uh, almost okay. like bulging sort of sections they park that cloaked have time traveled back in a park in America, obviously there, but in yeah. a park, and they come down oh, steps, okay. and it's all cloaked. So it, it just reminded me of that. I'm not sure. Did which Star one. Trek Four come first? I or? think it must have done because yeah, they would have been. Yeah, I'll have a quick look now. Uh, I think I think you might be right because 
I don't know why I know this, considering I haven't seen any of them. I know the first Star Trek film, the motion picture, was 79, I think. So, oh, there you go. Star Trek for the Voyager, 1986. So, yeah, so a few three years, years prior. So, so maybe a bit of cheeky inspiration, you know? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I think a, probably a very deliberate referencing. They've yeah. obviously very deliberately referenced Star Wars with the opening crawl. You know, they, you know, yeah. this is a show that likes to they reference know what other doing. sci-fis. Yeah, they know what Why they're doing. Not? And uh, yeah, so once, once the other lads have joined the fray, they sort of go through the motions, but... When they see the nod null sign, they don't uh, instantly assume. I do think it's a great setup, you know, with Lister going, "Oh yeah, like of course," because you think, "Oh, he's he's cracked it," but he thinks they're in Bulgaria. Hang on, wait a minute, nod null, nod null. It's in Bulgaria, isn't it? Are you sure? Number one subject at school, nod null, Bulgaria, rich in arable produce and mineral wealth, just south of Bosnia. And what's silly? That's obviously Bulgarian for kilometres, isn't it? You're so smart. I'm glad I came with you. Well, we are the smart party. <laughs> and the little yeah. dance and the beatbox. I put, it's cheesy, but it's so adorable. I kind of like it. Like, you know, it's very of its time, but it was, it made me smile. And um, I do have to say, though, because we get this thing through uh, most of the episode before it gets resolved about, you know, the uh, Lister and Cat thinking they're in Bulgaria. And uh, do you think the Bul... Do you think... They get. Do you think they do that now? Like they do, like the Bulgaria joke? Because they're not. I thought they're not. Well, they're not. They're not digging at Bulgarians necessarily. But not there, there are one or two not. jokes. <laughs> yeah, there are one or two jokes later on. What is it? I, I think it's in the talent show, isn't it? Where they go like, oh, they have simple taste or something. There is. There is a few bits of dated comedy in this, which I don't think they would do now. Uh, yeah, they they say in reference to Bulgarians. They say, oh, they're Bulgarian. They have very simple taste, which isn't too bad, but yeah. it's still generalizing. Oh, I mean, it, it, they might do that today, but in the same scene, a couple of lines before, Kat goes, it's a moron convention, which I really yes. don't think. That yeah. one really made me cringe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a bit that like don't Grit go. teeth, yeah. The one that made me grit my teeth a little bit was the whole, and I get why it was done for, but the whole when they're trying to, when they think it's Bulgarian, they're trying to figure out the language and they're doing like the whole adding ski on everything uh, and like. Yeah. Um, French ski. Uh, Abudski. Palski. Look, there's, there's an address ski. Here's ski. Can you, um, <laughs> drop us off ski? Like, I know, I know why they did it because it's the whole, you know, it's the funny thing of they don't understand that he's just speaking backwards. But I don't know. It. Like, the first time I was like, oh, okay. But they do it for quite a while before they realise. And I don't know, after a while, I was just like, eh. It was that moment of, like, this is a bit... Yeah. But what <laughs> I do enough. like in that scene is that in the translation of the backwards guys speak, he thinks they're speaking Bulgarian. So yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. That was a nice little, little yeah. thing. Nice little nice little nod. And I did laugh when they stole the bike and they instantly went went backwards. I'd I don't know why that made me laugh, because I should have seen that coming, but I think just the way it was shot and executed and how fast they go, it just made me chuckle. One thing I would say is the logic of what happens backwards and what doesn't what when they're interacting with stuff makes no sense whatsoever. Like, it's oh, purely absolutely. like the plot wants this thing to happen backwards to them, but this thing they can do perfectly normally. And it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Do you think that's partly like the whole sci-fi sitcom? Oh, we'll just, yeah. we'll just do what I mean, we want when fine. we want. And who's going to care? <laughs> who's going to care? Like, exactly. Yeah. Somebody might notice it, but I, I, I noticed it, but I don't, I don't care. It's fine. Mm. 
the red dwarf critters would probably say, "Oh well, like on the reverse backwards thing, you you, you have poor sad, what a poor sad life." But hey, that's that's why we do this. It's all good fun. It's all good fun. And um, Lister and Cat uh, find Crichton and Rimmer on a poster uh, advertising some sort of variety show. Uh, which, if you watch this on YouTube, you'll notice that poster is indeed, I believe, in our in our little introduction. It um, is. Yeah. Lovely, See, I was like, ah, I was like, there's the Josh poster. There. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, they they go to uh, attend the show in this seedy underground <laughs> underground pub, which I'm sure all comedians have done on the circuit at some point. And um, they have their little. Their little show, don't they? Yeah, where they, where to us, they are doing stuff, really boring stuff, like eating an egg and yeah. drinking a drink. But yeah. to the audience, because they're doing it forward to us, it looks backwards to them. They're called the Reverse Brothers, but backwards, obviously. And yeah, uh, and yeah, and they find it hilarious. And then there's Cat and Lister at the who have found them in the back, going, "What are they laughing at?" Yeah. They've, they've clearly got a good job because they only do two things and that's their set. I'm like, wow, if I, you know, that'd be, imagine that if I went on stage, sang one song, was like, oh, cheers, thanks very much. I'll take my, I'll take the money now. Uh, that made me chuckle that they only do two things. Yeah, but, um, I quite liked the voice that Chris Barry was doing for that bit as yeah, well. Yeah, that sort of like weird old school English showman thing, like the old comedy stuff. Like oh yeah, it's like, I'm crying here, you know. Very, but again, I think I think that's so Rimmer, isn't it? That's exactly what Rimmer would draw on. Yep. Yeah. I, again, though, like bending the rules because obviously, like Crichton drinks the water, but then when Rimmer and Cat drink the little bit of beer that's in their pint glasses, and they aim to drink it, but then it all comes back up anyway. It's like, wait, so are people in control of when they? drink or put about or is it just the do you know what i mean or the it's one of those because i say i mean you know at the end of the day we're nitpicking but it did make me think because Crichton just drinks that water straight up whereas you know yeah in terms of just generally all of the reverse stuff mm. um i didn't find it as funny funny as i was expecting to because okay. I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your how how in how you found it because you're seeing all this for the very first time, whereas I've seen it sort of three or four times over the years, mm. this episode. So is it that I I know what's going to happen and therefore it's not as funny for me? What Did you find it funny? Mm. I found moments of it funny. Like the, the fight at the end I thought was funny because also of how ambitious it was, you know, because it goes on for quite a bit and obviously it must have involved a lot of setup and stuff. I feel maybe in retrospect... It's hard in a way because they've set up that this universe is backwards through and through, so everything has to be backwards. But I feel it was, it was weird to say, but you know, overused, which probably diminished mm. the comedy of it. Because like, it's like with any gimmick, isn't it? You see it too many times in a short space of time, it's not gonna have the same effect. Whether it's going for funny, like for gags or for, I don't know, what emotion drama. So yeah, I think by the, I was impressed by the fight, but towards the end, like a bit before that. I wasn't tired of it, but yeah, you're right. I wasn't laughing anymore. I was just sort of watching it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's kind of how, how I felt as well. Uh, I, you know, from a, I absolutely appreciate the technical achievement they achieved oh, it because yeah. it's, it's fantastic and it must have taken a lot of planning and that fight scene, like going through the wind, you know, again, you can tell their budget has been upped here because, you know, they thrown through windows and all yeah. sorts of things and it, it does look really good and, and the technical achievement is great 
but the comedy of it, I don't know, it started to wane yeah. quite a bit. I think, I think, it, could you argue maybe they almost shot themselves in the foot by establishing that literally everything in this world is backwards, like we're saying about this, like uh, the overused gimmick thing. Maybe would it work better if it was only established like certain things were backwards rather than everything? Maybe. I mean, no, I think it, think with the, because again, this is them using a sort of hard science, log, like plot, sci-fi plot line of, you know, the big crunch, every, the universe is going into reverse after yeah. it's finished expanding and this is what is going to happen. Um, so it makes sense that everything would be reversed. I just don't know if they they focused on it as gags too much. Whereas if they just had it going on in the background for some things and then a gag every so often might yeah. have been better. I don't know. There yeah. were gags in it I liked. I did like how they used it. And some of them were just, some of them were the more less visual ones, like when they were talking about things and what the implications of it would be like. Take war. War is a wonderful thing here. In 50 years' time, the Second World War will start. Backwards. And that's a good thing. Millions of people will come to life. Hitler will retreat across Europe. Liberate France and Poland. Disband the Third Reich and bog off back to Austria. And then you get, immediately afterwards, you get, I think it's Cat that says, um, it might be Lister, but I think it's Cat, says, Oh, Santa Claus, what a bastard. <laughs> It's the big fat git who sneaks down chimneys and steals all the kids' favourite toys. I mean, that he raises a fair point. He raises he does. a fair point. So. And, but, so it's, I think, actually, I found the more dialogue jokes that used the concept funnier mm. than the visual ones. Yeah, I, so maybe, like, more of a focus on the dialogue gags about it rather than the the effects sort of thing. Yeah. Like, worked a bit better, save it for the big things like the fight and stuff. Um I've got to say as well, and I know, like, it, I know, so, you know, like, so near the end, you know, when Lister and Kat go backstage and they have a chat with Rimmer and Crichton and they're like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to leave. We've got a <laughs> a good gig going here, if you like. Um, I know it, it sets it up for, you know, the event, they get fired and then the fight happens and all that. But I do think, like, especially with Rimmer, I, I wrote, I find it hard to believe, even after three weeks, that both of them would want to stay in this universe, even though they've got this fun little thing. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I know it's a comedy, but I was like, yeah, even, even maybe. in the realm of comedy, it's a, it's a tiny, for me, it was a tiny bit of a stretch. Possibly, although with Rimmer, I suppose, if he's getting admiration and, you know, something that true. he's not used to getting and craves that for the first time he's getting people applauding him and that might be why. I, that, less yeah, so, no, I don't know fair. why Crichton wants to stay. But. <laughs> no, that's. I, I think it was just like a thought that popped in my head because obviously we we haven't seen the three weeks pass for for Rimmer and Crichton, have we? We literally see them arrive and then it's we, we follow Lister and Cat finding them three weeks later. So maybe if we'd seen a bit of the build and you know like that maybe that gradual rise to the success they have, maybe then I would have been a bit like, oh yeah, I get why they'd want to stay more. Whereas when, when you hear it, to me, it just comes very much out of left field. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, we want to stay. It's like, wait, what? Because I was like, I thought you were just getting a job, as they said, until the others come and rescue them. And But what you're saying makes sense. Like, of course, Rimmer loves the admiration. But maybe if, if even if they'd had one scene, like, you know, showing that build, like this first audience, I, I think I just would have believed it a little bit more. Yeah. But they get yeah. fired anyway. They could have so had that. Okay. <laughs> they could have had that scene 
before the free week jump maybe where they where they do have a first performance and then you see mm. uh rimmer go up on stage do a bit of an act and then is like oh oh they love me yeah yeah just they just love little... me they really love me exactly just 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 a little something like that it doesn't have to be much just you know little little thing here and there but um but of course they get fired for a fight that hasn't happened which results in the fight we've been mentioning which as we've said is a great uh great technical achievement of the episode and um yeah then they're all they're all off back to back to Starbug 2 because Star- what happens to Starbug 1 because that's just established that it's under I the water did, yeah they- did they just leave it there well i won't I'll, or did I'll they be tow it an back eye out. Mm, I'll be keeping an eye out to see if we see Starbug 1 specifically reappear and if they have an explanation for You know, again, it's a sitcom. They might just do that thing of it appears and no questions asked because you're right, they may have towed it. But I just thought that. I was like, they're all going into Starbug 2, like up the stairs. And I was like, so we just, are we are we leaving Starbug 1 in the backwards realm at the bottom of the lake? My headcanon is that they towed it back. <laughs> Yeah, but again, just leaning back to when they arrive, though, because, you know, when, when they first arrive, we see bits floating in the water, like computer panels and stuff. So I thought, wait, so is Starbug one, or, that you know, there's bits floating in the water. There's, a, there's a little bit, but we do also then get a scene of them still in the cockpit underwater. So this is true. it hasn't been then, completely and, destroyed. And then the random speedboat appears. So. <laughs> yeah, which must have come from somewhere. Just handily have a speedboat so. in the hole. Yeah. This is the first episode where we get to see the Starbucks actually, because the 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 sort of ship they left the Red Dwarf on in the past was Blue Midget. Mm. Yes, but it Starbug was Midget, will be yeah. a uh, quite a significant part of the show going forward. Oh, good! I like the design. I like Starbug. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing seeing more of it. And some more great model work whilst it lasts. Before inevitably, I'm sure CGI will will take over. Um, and. Uh, the last gag, if you like, is a uh, cat's in the bushes, as it were. And uh, we get that yeah. great close-up of Danny John Jules emerging, looking horrified, his hair all in a frizz, and he simply says, don't ask. <laughs> Wait, what did you think? <laughs> I you know, That was a good visual one, I thought. I, I was expecting that. I mean, I kind of knew, I had a vague memory of that happening. Not, I couldn't remember which character it was. I couldn't remember the circumstances it happened, but I knew that somewhere in there, there was a toilet gag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was kind of waiting for it. And it makes mm. sense that it's the yeah. last ending gag. It kind of works quite well. And I'm glad they didn't elaborate on it further. They just had, don't ask. And that was that was all you needed. Just yes. <laughs> don't ask and let's let's go. Roll credits, you know. <laughs> so, yes. And in and, a similar um, vein, let's not uh, discuss it uh, in too fine a detail here. <laughs> Yes, let's not. You, you audience members can get an idea for themselves. And I notice we do get it. We get a new recording of the end song, or it sounds like a different recording, uh, ever so slightly, um, to my ears. And I could be going completely balmy. It sounded like either a different singer or like a remastered recording compared to series one and oh, two. Okay, I have to admit, I stopped playing almost immediately as soon as the uh, theme tune started. Set at the That's end, fair. so I didn't I just, listen to it there. It just made me think. I still, I, again, like I said at the start, I low key miss the old intro, like the slower rendition of the theme. I just, again, it's that sort of epic feel. But yeah, I quite like the fast paced sort of, it, and it 
does signify the sort of shift in tone that this series is going to have this more fast paced, more sci-fi action kind of feel to it. Whereas the last two series have been a bit, have been a bit more slow paced. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, obviously this is the first episode where I've heard the more fast paced version. I'm sure I'll get, if this is how it is, I'm sure I'm going to get used to it as time goes on. It's also the the first, the, the, uh, the opening, it's the first time the actual red dwarf logo was ever seen yes i noticed that i saw it and was like ah there it is because i was starting to think because obviously you know when you see red dwarf on like dvds and magazines it's always that famous logo but in se- season one and two we only see it on the side of the ship in the intro uh, like, uh, you know, yeah we only out. see the words yeah but it's not and it's yeah. not the, it's not the famous logo yeah so i did wonder I, I wondered if that was a thing throughout the whole series you know is is it never gonna like you know was it designed just for merchandise rather than being in the show so it's nice to it's nice to see it pop up this, this yeah at this point so and and that in a nutshell was uh our thoughts on i'm just gonna say backwards because i don't try one say thing we again. haven't talked about oh yep go on there's a, we haven't really talked about holly yes i mean there's I mean, I'll have to say she now, of course, at the minute, yes. but there's there's not that much of her. There really. isn't, which, so, you know, given that they had made this change and mm. um, which, again, I was looking into the background of this and basically Norman Lovett did, had, they were, they, they, I think they changed where they were filming okay. and Norman Lovett didn't want to travel. Right. I believe. I'm going to find that out. Give me a second, because I think that was on the IMDb no, no, no of, last, of the last I, episode. I would, I would have thought they could have just, like, recorded him in a studio, like, wherever he was, and then, like, sent the tape to the... Because he's always on a screen, you know? So he could just be, like, superimposed or something. Yeah. You would you would have thought, but then maybe they, maybe they weren't allocating for setting up a studio wherever Norman Lovett was or whatever, but... Oh, here it is. Okay. So, having recently married and settled in Edinburgh, he felt <laughs> travelling from Edinburgh to production locations in London and Manchester would prove problematic. So, Lovett decided not to come to rehearsals anymore. <laughs> there was he a conf- just decided not to turn up. Apparently. Wonderful. There was a conflict with the producers and Lovett was let go. So, basically, it sounds like he was like... that's too far i'll come for the filming but i'm just not going to turn up for the rehearsals and the producers were like uh no that's not how this works yeah and that's a shame in a way because you would have thought surely he could have just like rang them and they could have arranged something in because the bbc had bases in scotland like edinburgh scotland they could have done something yeah he also um at the time apparently had the promise of his own tv show which was called i love it in 1989 and uh, I thought you meant as I thought you meant as Holly. Then I was no, like, not what as a weird Holly. Idea, so. No, but as um, as just himself. So he 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 probably felt that he could flex his muscles a little bit and go. Well, if they find me, I've got this lined up. Uh, it doesn't right. matter too much. Uh, and but that only lasted one series of six episodes, so that didn't go very far. Oh blimey! Well, that that is a shame because you know we both love Norman Lovett, and it's a shame that he he isn't back. But again, like, you know, I, I I would have known he wasn't coming back if I'd read that opening crawl that went at about 100 miles an hour. But, um, yeah, I just feel like if you are establishing a new person as Holly, basically, she doesn't get that much time in this episode. You literally she doesn't. Get, you no. get the opening scene in the cockpit where she chips in every now and then. And then on uh, Rimmer's wristwatch, briefly. 
And I think that's really about it, if memory serves, in the episode. Was she on Rumors Wish What? Wrist Rot? Well, I can't say that word I, I think it was when <laughs> they just arrived. In was the, wasn't in the... she in... Because to me, that looked like she was in this the circle bit of Crichton's tummy. Oh, maybe it was. But, so maybe I got my shots right. I think it's just because I remember Lister did that with his wristwatch yeah. in the last season, which was circular. So maybe that's where I'm getting it wrong. But it could have been. It probably was foreshadowing the Teletubbies almost a decade earlier. Maybe, so, maybe. Yeah, you see. yeah, I, yeah. D- what we saw from her as well, I don't think it was probably her best stuff. And that was probably just the script because hmm. I... I don't know. There's some line. The line she said seemed like they were written for Norman, possibly. Yeah. Which would make sense if, like, this was quite a late last minute change because he just didn't turn up to rehearsals. <laughs> yeah, he just decided not to bother. <laughs> well, I'd need some more data before I could give you a precise answer. Like? Well, this year's calendar would be handy. <laughs> <laughs> the line that signified that for me was that whatever line it was when she said muggins, which I know is like slang anyway, but that just sounds like something that Norman Lovett would say in a heartbeat. And I feel like I, I am curious to see going forward how Holly's going to vie against Crichton. Because I feel like now that Crichton's here as a mainstay, mm. it made me think, you know, in the scene in the like cafe when Crichton, it's clear Crichton can translate the backwards speak. I thought if that wasn't Crichton, that would be Holly doing that on like a wristwatch or a TV or yeah. something. So I'm thinking, I wonder going forward if there's going to be any fun sort of like jokey conflict sort of having essentially like two robots or two, you know, two AIs. Uh, sentient yeah. AIs on board. I'll be interested yeah. to see how much sort of attention they get compared to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And the lines that did sound like they were written for Norman, I can imagine them being like, I can hear them as Norman Lovett saying them in my head and mm. they sound a lot funnier than when she said them yeah Norman which is as we said is not a dig on the actress herself no because it... if they're not if they're they are written for the way that norman lovett speaks then absolutely that makes sense and i hope that as we get into episodes where they are writing for her strengths that she gets some more funnier moments yeah no absolutely i just yeah i i just hope now that Crichton is essentially becoming a like a a main you know like a main character with the boys um i just hope holly as a character no matter who they're played by doesn't get pushed to the side completely because that'd be a shame yeah i feel holly as a character is just as much a part of this now as as anyone else yeah so, but for me i will have to i will have to wait and see I have to wait and see i will tease you with the fact that it's not the last we've seen of norman lovett but it's okay. the last for okay. a while <laughs> <laughs> and when you say a while, <laughs> uh, depends if bear you're in talk- mind we've still got many series to go. Yeah, quite so- <laughs> a few series. Quite a few uh, series. Okay. <laughs> All right then. I'll I'll hold my breath. But no, I do I do like uh, female Holly as well. Uh, I don't want it to come across that I don't. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, and it is good to get that a bit of uh, uh, just a bit of gender difference in the cast as well because it has been all all men so far. So it's nice to get that a bit mixed yeah. up a bit like that. No, absolutely, absolutely. But essentially, that brings us to the end of our thoughts on Backwards, the series three premiere. But one thing we like to do, we have a few regular segments. One of which is our favorite characters in each episode. So, Phil, who was 
who took your favourite spot in the episode today? Uh, it's really difficult. There wasn't there wasn't really one character that like overwhelmingly wowed me in this episode and thought, oh god, I'm giving it to them. But I will give it to Crichton just because it's it's his sort of reintroduction episode. And I really did like the scenes in the uh, cockpit when they were doing the training things. So, yeah, although yeah. I think in in other episodes that wouldn't have stood out as much, but I just think it was a good, but probably because it was a good ensemble episode, there wasn't anybody that massively stood out to me um, in this one. What about you? Yeah, I, I sort of get what you mean. Everyone sort of has their own, like, best moment. Uh, for me, I'd I'd have to... I'd probably give it to Chris Barrier's rumor by a hair, just because there's some great reaction. He's so good at reactions. Like I loved his reaction when, uh, you know, when they're talking about the time hole, and he goes, yeah. "No, that's not a time hole. That's a time hole." And then it's a shot where he slowly looks up at the. He's great at doing stuff like that, and it's stuff that if you don't have the right reaction, like it's not gonna be funny. But just just his face, uh, absolutely makes. So I give it to him by a whisker, an absolute yeah. whisker. Yeah. And the the other regular segment we do is a funniest moment or funniest line, joke, whatever. So do you have a clear winner for that? Well, the only thing that made me actually laugh out loud, and I already know you disagree with it, is the uh. opening sketch with the, the opening joke with, um, with about Wilma Flintstone. That's the only time okay. I actually okay. laughed out loud. So I have okay, to get to that on, on Mad Grounds. You know, there That's was a fair. lot of other That's stuff fair. that I found funny, but none of it like made me physically laugh out loud other than that no like belly laugh yeah i wasn't quite no, belly laughing fair. but it was more of a kind of like <laughs> like that yeah it's a, a very chuckle. quick laugh out loud but yeah. it was it was a verbal <laughs> appreciation that's of the absolutely joke. fair absolutely fair as i said maybe for me if, if the build-up didn't take so long i might have laughed out loud as well um for me, it's a, I've mentioned it already. It's a really run. It's it's just them walking through the street and River with his stupid antenna. It just it's because visually it's so out of place and it's so awkward. But again, I think partly Chris Barry like looking around, you know, confused at what's going on, completely oblivious. Because of course, Rimmer wouldn't think, "Oh my god, what, you know, what am I wearing?" He'd he'd own that. You know, he owns wearing that antenna. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Out of all the moments, that that little panning shot just made me chuckle a lot. Um, so I'm gonna have to give it to that random three or four seconds for me. Um, and last but not least, we give it a rating. Um, uh, how many scutters out of ten would you give this film? I would give this a seven out of ten. S- seven. Seven. Oh, I wasn't expect. I don't know. I wasn't expect. How come a seven? I don't. I, I don't know if it's just because I've seen it too many times for the visual gags to be funny anymore. But okay, that yeah, it's just it. It wasn't as it. I think it was because my expectations for it were higher right. than it ended up being. So I think if I hadn't gone mean. into it with so such high expectations because i i have really good memories of this episode like i remember really (laughs) liking this episode but for some reason when i watched it this time it just didn't seem as funny as i remembered it which kind of instantly gives it extra negative points because it's disappointed me because i was like i i thought you were meant to be really really like top notch but it's still good i still really like it. i'm not saying it's a bad episode don't get me wrong 
it's good episode and there are some brilliant moments in it um but it just it just didn't quite live up to what i remembered it being no i, I hear you i had the same thing with a film called if you've heard of it four lions i've heard of it i have not seen it essentially for those i won't go in the full plot and this might sound odd it's a film about four terrorists from sheffield who are very bad at being terrorists and that might sound awful but it is it's well it's a very funny film but i re-watched it, it came out in 2010 and i watched it at the time and i was 14 you know it was very funny because it was very edgy very out there humor uh, i watched it last year during lockdown and it's still like you said about this it's still a good movie but i didn't find it nearly as funny uh, and that's probably because I've grown up a bit or the jokes fell flat. So I, I know exactly that sentiment when you see something too many times and some things are endlessly funny and some things wane over time. I think maybe it's because this hinges on a gimmick, maybe, and gimmicks always sort of lose their yeah lose their effect after a while. What yeah. about yourself? What, do you, what would you give it out of 10? I'd give it a bit... I'd be, I'm going to be a bit more generous. I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. Um points have deducted i think like we we both agreed on the fact how maybe there could have been more of a dialogue gag about the reverse thing rather than emphasis on the on the visual all the time although points for things like the fight at the end like we said the the setup that must have taken especially when things are getting thrown around and stuff um the model work is fantastic the caster the caster on top form you can tell like they're no longer like not that they ever were, but they're not they're no longer like hesitant about their characters in any way. You can tell like they know who these guys are and they're just they're, and you can tell what I love is in any show when you can tell the actors are having fun, it shows so and you can tell these guys are just having a blast by now. So, yeah, I look I know it's nice to see it on location. I like the fact that I know it's a space sitcom, but I like the fact when we go on location even if it's just to the English countryside or out of Manchester or wherever it is. So, and uh, Robert Llewellyn as well for making a good impression and again for someone who'd only seen the previous actor um aside from initially thinking why is his accent different you know i warmed to him pretty quickly and that's partly because of the way he played him so i'm looking forward to see what's more to come so yeah not my favorite episode ever um but i think a solid start to series three why not yeah well there you go and um You'll have to join us next time when we look at Series 3, Episode 2. Where our journey doth indeed continue. I can't... What was... The, can you remember the title off the top of your head? Off the top of my head? I cannot. <laughs> it might be... You read Dwarf Might be Marooned. Marooned. That rings a bell, because I looked at... It might be Marooned. Let's go with that. Assume it's Marooned. And that's what we're... And that's what I'll be if I get that wrong by the comments. I'll be completely Marooned. But um, no, thank you very much if you if you're still here for watching slash listening to everybody's dead Dave. Um, Phil, where can they find this podcast and indeed yourself? Well, you might already be watching it on. Uh, when I say watching it, it's watching a squiggly line uh, with <laughs> with some lovely pictures behind with it, some which are drawn pictures. by Sophie Isles, um, and uh, and a static image of the the podcast logo. But that's fine. Uh, you might be watching on YouTube. But if you're not, you can find me there. Philip Hawkins is my name. And I talk about all sorts of geeky pop culture stuff like like Red Dwarf and a lot of Doctor Who and Star Trek and the MCU and things like that. So that's the main place to find me is on YouTube. Um, but you might already be listening to this. If you are listening to this on YouTube, let us know what you think in the comments below. Yeah, please do. Of, of, please the, of this episode, uh, not of us. 
specifically. <laughs> Although you can if yeah. you want we're to. Sens- we're sensitive souls. Come on, you gotta be. You gotta be nice to us. Of the Red Dwarf episode. <laughs> of the Red Dwarf episode. Yeah, we we do find it interesting to see what you guys think of the episodes, and it's nice to see whether you like you know like Phil, someone who's been watching for a while, is a big fan, or someone like me, if you're doing this journey with us. For the very first time, or if you've been inspired to check this show out, then again, let us know. We'd love to see it. And um, yeah, subscribe to Phil's channel if you want to see this on YouTube. If you want to check out some of my work, uh, I'm also on YouTube, Adam Martin with a Y. Um, similar to Phil, I do a lot of pop culture stuff. And I'm also on Twitter at Adam Martin Actor, where you can post my daily ramblings, where I post things like the Brum theme tune and say, let's all stand for the national anthem because... I've clearly got too much time on my hands. But yeah, if you like that sort of thing, come check us out. And uh, yeah, on the whole, we will see you next time for Series 3 Episode 2. Until then, see you later. Bye-bye.